Extraordinary Unplugged, a podcast for people looking to create bigger, braver, more meaningful lives, people who are prepared to do what it takes to make it happen. Growing up, part of finding yourself is finding out the kind of people that you love and the kind of people you find attractive, of course. And so it was for me discovering, am I gay? I'm Elka Edwards, founder of Ivy House. I recently spoke to Mitch, a successful video producer who effectively spent 10 years living a double life until he finally came out to his father. I'm really excited to talk to you, Mitch, and it's lovely to see you. Thank you for having me. So just give us a bit of context, Mitch. Mm. Um, You are the co-founder of Pocket Blockbuster, which is a video production company. You have some incredible clients, apart from Ivy House, I've got to say. (laughs) But you work with Abbey Road Studios. I suspect that's a gig that pretty much everybody would want. You also work with BBC Introducers. You work with various universities, various musicians. You've got quite a cool client base, really, haven't you? When we kicked off the company, when we founded the company, we just wanted to have fun. That was our sort of... (laughs) And are you? We're having tons of fun. (laughs) So what always blows me away about you is, yeah, 28, is that right? 27. 27. See, you seem so much older. You look not older, I've got to say, but you seem so much older. So tell me, because you you took a really brave decision very early on after coming out of school to go your own way. Just give us a little bit of that story. I've always been... And for reasons that I'm sure will come out in this conversation, fiercely independent. I've always wanted complete control of my life and go whichever way I want to go. Leaving school and going to uni was the sort of freedom pass. Leave the home as I did. I left and I've never gone back. And not for a lack of great relationships with family, but for wanting to start my my own life. And take, What degree did you um, do? Film studies at Queen Mary, University of London. And it was that sort of pathway that then, within the sort of first year of uni, led me to think, okay, I, I want to go freelance when I, when I finish here. I don't want to work for a company. I don't want to work and did that anybody. did that feel brave at the time? Because let's be honest, most people yeah. are looking at uni to, where, where, which job is this going to get me? Yeah, did, I mean, there was... Uh, that conflict carried through the entire degree. You know, it okay. wasn't a sort of, I'm definitely going to be freelance when I graduate. But there were various jobs that I got whilst at uni that led me to think, I'm loving this. I'm loving this independence. And I, and, you know, I love that that gave you that insight because if, yeah. if, you know, when I'm working with young people now, I always say, look, companies are looking to try before they buy, but you should try before you buy as yeah. well. So yeah. the amount of work experience that you need to get, just try as many I mean, different things the, as you can. Uh, I love the the first big editing job I had. I had no idea what I was doing. I had this amazing sort of networking event at my first year of uni. And I met this former executive producer at the BBC who'd been brought in by my university to coach us, I guess, into finding different pathways. And at the end of the session, I was the only person who stayed behind and had a chat with her. And she then invited me to a interview the following day simultaneous to this by the way and this is pretty hard hitting but my grandma passed away within the same 24 hours it's not the typical headspace you want to be in when you're going to potentially meet someone who could give you an opportunity that's going to maybe change your life and lo and behold she did she she said do some editing for us let's you know try try this but you also had the courage and the yeah. foresight to actually stay behind after yeah, that the was talk. a big thing for her as well that was yeah a, um, she said what was no it? one else did um, you just instinctively feel like that had somebody said you know whatever you do stay yeah. behind there was what an happened? energy there was something about her and just where i was at i think in terms of discovering 
the stuff that I like doing, the enjoying the degree, which was quite theoretical, right. and then wanting to bring in some more production practice, more, right. I guess, work experience. And it seemed right to have a chat with her. She's now, by the way, one of my close friends. Brilliant. Years later. Um, and we've worked very closely together over the years. But it's, it's amazing. And I think, you know, if I was to ever go back and give advice to anyone in terms of taking opportunities, it's not about taking them. It's about finding them yeah. by and having being in the room yeah. isn't it being in the room yeah. with the right people get out there yeah so but I'm also really interested because that was your first editing job but yeah. then you got a really incredible gig. Yeah, within six months yeah so, so you're now 19 yeah 19 and, and <laughs> um basically my university had as a relationship with number 10 10 Downing Street and the, the former government at the time David Cameron's government they wanted to basically record the present and past cabinet secretaries and for those people who don't know what a cabinet secretary is well it's basically m from james bond they're the they love the, that explanation yeah, that's what we were using the men of secrets was the original title for the project it's now it was just ended up being the cabinet secretaries essentially if you think of the prime minister as a, as a salesperson and then the cabinet secretary is the part one who presses the buttons you know they're, they're the real center of power and so a crew of about five of us were sort of tasked to go to number 10 and record these interviews and you've actually reminded me that the biggest break I got in my career was staying behind after a guest lecturer came offering to buy him a drink actually staying behind is probably going to be the title of my autobiography one day yeah. I think that I, those conversations that happen after yeah, the yeah. fact yeah. or after the event or often when the networking event is finished are really important so um, you you set up your own business that led me to go freelance so I spent yeah. and still to I still do freelance for editing now I, I, yeah. I discovered very quickly that I just loved video editing film yeah. editing and so there's a big thing for me as you know a big thing for us at Ivy House about this understanding not only what your talents are but what your passions are and it sounds to me like you have really merged those two things. Yeah, it wasn't sort of a, I landed in film. I have a huge passion for music. I love visuals. I love stuff in terms of the arts, media, etc. The natural fusion of those things happens to be editing, video editing, because you're bringing together um, so many different elements. So you, you guys can't see what I'm seeing right now, but Mitch has gone into full on <laughs> arms everywhere. <laughs> Just his face has come alive. And actually, I think that's the truth about when we find our element like it's not hard is it you might work really long hours but you're in your element and therefore the whole thing becomes a hell of a lot easier so we're not talking about being in your element today no one of the big beliefs at ivy house is that we're always on a learning journey and we all have insights and we change things as we go and you've you know you you're in an enviable position so many people would look at you at 27 and go oh my god i'd love to have my own video production company and you're still on a learning journey. So as we were talking earlier, we were talking about this whole idea of having difficult conversations about relationships and how that's played out for you. So we're going to have a chat about that today. Yeah. So I'd like you just, if you wouldn't mind, to take us back a little bit where you started to really notice that you needed to have one hell of a big, difficult conversation in your yeah. life. Yeah, well, to put it bluntly, growing up, part of finding yourself is finding out the kind of people that you love and the kind of people you find attractive of course and so it was for me discovering am I gay or not and so I grew up with that feeling with that I guess question in my head from a very young age maybe 12 maybe even younger but really not grappling it until probably going to uni and then post uni in fact um, in terms of coming out this fun thing that gay people have to do um, <laughs> um, I think in terms of difficult conversations, it is the most 
difficult thing that I've ever had to grasp or come to grips with in terms of it being something that defines part of who you are and ultimately affects somehow affects the people around you because of the opinions people hold and the the society we live in. So while Mitch has a very specific story he's about to tell about a series of difficult conversations he had to have with his family about coming out, actually what I want you to think about is the difficult conversations that you may have been avoiding, maybe for years in your life. So who is your big difficult conversation with? Or was it a series? Well, it was a series. I have to say it was yeah. a series. There was one sort of the pinnacle of it was my dad, to be honest with you. Um, but the, it was a series of family and actually to a degree, even my best friend, you know, that was hard as well. Um, I mean, I told him over text because I was so nervous, which in hindsight was a, and he already knew, by the way. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I was suspecting you did, yeah. Um, but uh, the... I loved you anyway. Oh, completely. completely. And yeah. I think um, family, you know, telling my mum, telling my stepdad, my stepmom and my dad, which by the way is a blessing in disguise. I have the most wonderful, extraordinary family. I always think of having two mums and two dads for a variety of reasons telling my dad was sort of the the final part of that series so tell me then what what story did you have going on in your head about <laughs> I, I about telling your dad I, the story i had in my head is that he's going to well not just him but the that side of the family when they find out you're going to be either disowned i mean to the extreme of the the spiral that was going in my head like that's going to be end at the end of that relationship they're not going to love you. They're not going to agree with it. They're going to find it difficult because there's also, in terms of my stepmom, there's a religious element as well. Um, and religion, of course, is not compatible with um, homosexuality. The story was all about loss. It was all about if you tell him or them, you're going to lose something really special. Because the, the irony of the, the sort of the villainizing that I did in my head of my father and, and of members of the family was, of course, we were all quite close in reality. And we've always been close. Close, but you weren't showing them your real uh, self. Absolutely. And I would spend, you know... The, the, that must have been exhausting to be exhausting. in relationships with people and not be you. Yeah, uh, it was absolutely... And I spent years doing this. The question at, say, let's 17, 18, am I gay? The answer was yes. But I didn't know that. Um, and I was on a journey to find out I had a girlfriend. I went down a route that some many friends of mine who are gay have been down the same route. And it's not to say that that is, the, you know, there are so many routes to discovering who you are. But did you actually share with, with your family that you are on a route of discovery? Well, that's I mean, it. I didn't know. I, that, because there's levels of hiding, isn't there? Completely, I mean, the even best, if you didn't yeah. know, you could have shared the fact that I don't know. And actually it's, it's on my mind and I'm concerned or that I'm not being me and I want to discover this. I think even the point where I think it came up in conversation once, are you gay? And I just refused i was no what's really interesting here is mitch had a whole series of stories about what might happen to his relationships with his family if he showed them who he really was but what he's not spotting is the story he's been feeding himself about being really really close to his family when actually that becomes so much more difficult when we're not able to show up as we are that story that you'd created, and let's just be really clear yeah. here, yeah. is we attach meaning to things that never that haven't even happened yet. We make it into something. We let it affect how we feel day in, day out. Yeah, nothing's happened yet, 
but we are feeling a certain way because of something we are imagining in the future. So what was the impact on you? Well, one of the biggest uh, questions that came up almost every time I would visit my stepmom and my dad was what's happening on the girlfriend front? Mm. The impact of that question, although it was lighthearted and fun and they just wanted me to meet someone and be happy, at the deep end of that and what that did to me as an individual was it sort of inhibited me even further. It felt like it would be even more difficult to broach the subject of being gay or maybe even going on a journey like you just said because the impact of that question what's happening on the girlfriend front was that well that's that's your only option and again uh, a story you're telling yourself completely but of course it added the fire to the flame almost so what happened to enable you to have the conversation and how did that come about well it was getting very tiring holding this truth at bay and then lying is a strong word but lying to my very close family and, you know, about who I am. And over the course of, say, I guess the ages of 21 to 24, I started revealing the truth at different times. So my friends were my first group, told my best friends who, who you know, love me to this day and were just thrilled, to be honest, is the word. Relieved, relieved I suspect. Relieved yeah. is a great word. Yeah. And then I told my mum, which was a really funny discussion. Um, again, a year later, it took me a year after telling my friends to tell my mum. Because again, I created all these stories about... And my mum, by the way, had a conversation with me. And I remember it vividly when I was 12, saying, just to let you know, I don't care who you fall in love with, whenever that might happen in the future. I was 12. I wasn't really thinking about girls or boys, to be honest. I suspect your mother had some intuition. She had always had the intuition. But what was so funny is when I told her, um, she rang me the following day and said, so... Are you sure? <laughs> and I said, yes, this is absolutely 100% who I am. People think sometimes it could be a phase, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for some people, maybe it is discovering who they are. They might go down one path. As you and... did with having a girlfriend, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then I had another sort of long gap. So what's interesting, again, about having a split family, which I've had since I was one, is I can completely separate them in terms of the conversations I have. They are, I am the only link, which was part of my grabbing my independence because I I could go and visit my dad or my mum yeah. without informing the other which is yeah. that allowed me to prolong the inevitable in terms of then telling my dad and my stepmom and broaching that difficult conversation and so once I told my mum I again left it for about another year maybe even longer this was simultaneous I have to be honest of being on the masterclass the Ivy House program we talk a lot about difficult conversations when I was sat on that program having the the privilege of knowing my element in terms of my career but not having that in my personal life so it just seemed I was completely at odds yeah two people yeah two people yeah living a sort of split personality um apart from with my friends so what happened I remember being at, we um, gave you a task to go off and have a difficult conversation didn't we yes and that was obviously in my head yeah yeah didn't want to do that but it did <laughs> coincide yeah um that within that year of the cohort of course, as, it, as things do, it didn't happen in terms of a structure of we sat down and had a, a tough conversation. It happened in a much more fluid and natural way. I was with my stepmom in a bar. She'd just been working in London. And she was looking at the, um, the lady behind the bar and said, Mitch, she's making eyes at you. And I just said, it's a, it's a shame she's not a guy. <laughs> and this sort of just came out. And then my stepmom she just she went finally you know <laughs> she then just cheered almost in the bar um which was really interesting it wasn't necessarily the um the story she'd obviously been telling herself or created for me had come true i guess to a degree 
And then the first question she said to me is, you're worried about telling your father, aren't you? I, I, I always put him on a sort of pedestal of being this strict, macho, straight man um, who just wouldn't want to hear the news that one of his sons is gay. And what do you attribute? So he wouldn't want to hear it. And be, so what would you lose? What, what, what did you, what meaning had you attached? I think, well, the, the, the bluntness of it being that he would freak out, that he would You'd sort lose of, his I'd love. lose his love, I'd lose him, then I'd lose access to my family, my yeah. siblings. So it all comes back to this idea of loss. Loss, oh, like, completely. They can't love me for who I am. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Um, and so it almost seemed, feels a little bit of a cop-out in the end because I didn't, I didn't tell my dad first. My stepmom, well, we had arranged at, at the bar that we would meet the following day as a family and just have a chat. But we didn't in the end. We went, um, she went home and obviously she couldn't give it to herself. So she sat the whole family down and spoke to them. And then I got a call from my little brother who was 15, I think, at the time. Just saying, I love you. Mm, don't. <laughs> <sighs> and so, which was amazing, you know. And he was someone I was worried about, which is crazy. Because then he told me, he told me one of his best friends is gay. And he'd come out at school at the age of 13. And I'm sat there <laughs> you were thinking, jealous. I've been carrying this around for, with me for years. And I, I didn't even know that one of your best mates is gay. And then, of course, I knew, I knew then that my dad had been told. But he hadn't mentioned a word. But I knew we were meeting for lunch the following day. So you can imagine this was one of the most difficult 24 hours I've ever had. Weirdly, because somehow I already knew it was okay. Because... He'd been told and nothing had happened, you know. So clearly that had, The world hadn't come the to world an end. Exactly. <laughs> My old piano teacher used to say to me when I hadn't practised, you know, the world will still be spinning tomorrow. No yeah. matter how bad things are, the world will still be spinning tomorrow. I've always carried that with me. But I knew we were going to meet for lunch. So we, we met at Liverpool Street and hugged them like nothing had happened, knowing full well that he knew. And we spent an hour together not even broaching the subject. I just, I remember that my heart was pounding for that hour because I just wanted to hear either what the hell yeah. or it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really tough, to be honest with you. And um, yeah, we, we walked to this place behind Liverpool Street and just had a, just sat down. It was a beautiful day. It was gorgeous weather. So then he disappeared for 10 minutes and he came back with this bottle of white wine and three glasses and he stood up and gave a toast and said, you know, <laughs> I don't care who you love, but you're my son and I love you. And it was... <laughs> so, um, and it was amazing. That weight, that sort of weight that I'd been carrying for years, you know, literally years, was gone in a flash. Oh, you know? my God. And for the first time ever, I felt 100% myself. I was sat there and I could breathe. It was... I'd been given an oxygen tank and I'd been plugged in. It was like, oh, this is what life's meant to feel like. Because there was nobody I hadn't told who mattered to me in terms of, you know, people closest I, to I, me. I need to ask you this question because I'm sure lots of people are listening and they're going, well, that's wonderful. You've clearly got a great dad. Yeah. But that's not true for everybody. Well, this is what came up next. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. This is, this is what came up next. My dad, you know, his first question to me was, why couldn't you tell me? I said, well, here's why. <laughs> and we had a really honest conversation. Um, and then I used examples of friends of mine. I have, there's another friend of mine who I won't name, but when he told his parents, it was hell. They, they and, were, but I think you know, there's something, so you, your, your wonderful phrase, you know, the world will still be spinning tomorrow. Yeah. One of the things we talk a lot about at Ivy House is, no matter what's going on, yeah. 
deep within us, we're still always okay. Absolutely. And I think there's a really important learning here for all of us, which is, you know, life's, as Sydney Banks famously said, life's a contact sport. You know, one event hits you and and another and another and another. But to remember, no matter what is going on, your father potentially rejecting you, you are still okay. Mm. And we still have a choice whether or not we live our life and be us and remember that or try and live another life that isn't us. And Mm. and you know what? Interesting on that, I'd almost become an expert in, in lying to myself about that part of my life. Well, not lying to myself. I knew who I was, but lying to other people, to my family. I had become an expert at being okay with that pretend life. The pretend life. So many of us do just that. We wear masks. We hide ourselves from the people that mean the most to us. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that. Of course you can do that. But I need you to know, I need everybody to know that that's a choice. We also have the choice to take off the mask accept ourselves, love ourselves, and bring our full selves to those relationships. But of course, it's really interesting, the impact of people seeing you for who you are, but you not letting people into who you are. Because we always look at it from our aspect, don't we? We go, well, you know, if I tell them they'll stop loving me, they'll stop. But actually, and I'm sure you'll have experienced this yourself, being in a relationship with somebody who isn't being honest about who they are, and, you know, so many people live sort of dual lives and try and pretend to be something and, and, and aren't. It's very hard to be in relationship with people like that. It, it really is. It, and I've found that myself with other yeah. friends and um, people I've supported over the years. But interestingly, I think what can be quite damaging, and I think especially now in the world we live in, we walk down the high street in central London, you'll see people who you might presume to be a certain way because of the way they act. It's not always the case because it can be an act. Yeah. And there is something damaging. And I certainly what I've found is if someone says to you, are you gay? Or I think you're gay. It's that's them telling you what they think. It's not you telling them who you are. Who you are. And I think it can set you back when someone says, I think you're gay. If you're not ready to, to, to bring that forward. And of course, it might be that they're just trying to get to know you. Oh, completely. But, yeah. but actually, of course, you know, without the judgment, leaving the judgment aside, there is something about going, I want to connect with you. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know you. I want to be part of you. Open yourself up to me. And, and I think often we're so in our own heads about everything we will lose if we tell people who we really are, we forget what we're not giving. Completely. We're not giving our true selves. So I want to just move us on slightly to talk about, you obviously had a whole 10, 15 years of of this anxiety of living two lives, really being two different people. My, I guess my question is, is, You've, you've come through it. You've had incredible responses for the, from those people you love and been obviously very embraced. Is there any part of that habit, I guess, of holding back that is still playing out today? Is there anything in your relationships or not? Have you... Do you know what? It's, I mean, generally speaking, no. Mm. But, and why this has been so life-changing, you know, just dealing with who I... And, and it wasn't, a, even though I said it, you know... It did feel like I could breathe properly for the first time in years. Being able to just be me from that moment onwards, um, obviously that took time still. But well, my business partner, Will, he's been through this whole period with me. 
one of the things that he's most, he always says he's most proud of is that somehow he's turned me from an introvert into an extrovert over the years. And of course, that's not entirely true. I'm on the, I'm very much center. If you do the, um, you know, the Myers-Briggs, I'm, I'm pretty much in the middle. But the point he's making is you found your confidence. And now in terms of, and you would have seen this from when I first pitched to when I second, you know, yeah, three yeah. years later or two years, because yeah. um, they were two different people. They, it was, you know, uh, that one of them was introverted me. I can't possibly show any sort of extravagance, wave my arms around, whatever. Um, second version of me is is me. Is, is So now when I'm in meetings or if I'm meeting clients, or in, in fact, in business, it's being who I am has made an immense difference. It makes a difference to every part of your life, yeah. doesn't it? It's just the ripple effect of it is incredible. And I think on a daily basis, just being able to, walk out of my flat in London and just take my stride and be who I want to be and do what I want, generally speaking, is just, it's liberating. And I guess there's something, you know, for the people listening, they're sitting there going, well, I'm not me. And it may not be about their sexuality. I mean, I've, I meet a lot of young people that are, well, not even young people, quite frankly, people of any age that yeah. are doing jobs and careers that they just, you know, that they might be earning a, a ton of money in the city, but actually want to be a yoga instructor and move to, right. to Devon on Cornwall. I mean, so people that are fulfilling someone else's view of how they should live their life. Yeah, I think, do you know what, the nine to five, you know, the, the world we've, we're starting to depart because of the coronavirus, um, where people sort of wake up in the morning, go to work, come home and then live their life mm. is starting to shift. And I think I, I meet so many, you know, probably still so many of my friends will, will tell me that they're not happy in their careers yeah so it's the flip side and to they're what spending most of their waking um, hours doing it yeah and you do and and how mad you know, i mean you and i we sit no, here I and we love what we do yeah and we're that's such a wonderful feeling when you can but you, you know, know what's fascinating about that and i think this whole topic is yeah. is about finding yourself and living yes. your true life that i think that's what we've ended up talking yeah. about yeah but it's how people don't believe that's possible for them. Yeah. So they'll be listening to us going, oh, it's all very well for you. You know, you do yeah. something funky. You you know, edit films. And, and okay, you stand up on stage and you talk about human yeah. development potential. Well, yeah, it's fine. But not everybody can do that. Actually, we've come full circle here. We've come straight back to finding your element. What was really clear when Mitch was talking about his career was he'd managed to do that. He'd found what he was talented at. He'd found what he was passionate about. And that's what your element is. It's the point at which your strengths and your passions meet. To be truly yourself, yeah. you have to let go of the good opinion of others. And trust that we will end up in relationship with the people we were meant to be in relationship with. Find the people that love us for who we are as opposed to being with people that love us for who they want us to be. Absolutely. And those I found those people over the years. And, yeah. and it doesn't have to be good. You know, not everyone listening is going to go to university. You might do an apprenticeship. You might find another route and do something completely different. But experiencing different things has been key to that. Trying stuff that I didn't know how to do. Crikey, that's become my career. My trumpet, has, you know, that's led me to play in bands where I've met amazing people or just being gay has allowed me to meet some of the best people I've ever met and I think finding those people is the only way you can do that is when you just let yourself explore who you are and I think um, giving yourself permission to explore who you are I always think that the the opinion is is recognizing that the only opinion that matters mm. is your opinion yeah 
Am I the it's person? Really hard. Um, yeah. Really Am hard. I the person I want to be? Yeah. Am I living my best life? It's um, one of my favorite, uh, one of my idols is Steve Jobs. Um, and he was known, if, if you've read up on him. For not being such a nice guy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I respect what he once said to Johnny Ives, who was the design, who designed all the products that we're surrounded by. And when he first employed him, he, he um, said to him, You care too much about what they think as in his team you need to tell them what you think and i really found that interesting and of course now he they as a company from that you know origin story developed products that have changed our world yeah there's a there's a quote in fact steve jobs is one of my first quotes in my book actually and i'll probably get this slightly wrong but he says um it's only the people that are mad enough to think they can change the world. Yes. Do. It's yeah. brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Cool. So one of the things I ask um, everybody that I interview to do is to write a letter yes. to their 17, um, 17-year-old self. I haven't heard it, um, but I am looking forward to it, and I'm wondering if I'm going to need some tissues. Dear Mitchell, I write this on Sunday the 6th of September 2020, age 27, to you my 17-year-old self. To start, and as a stroke of inspiration, I just jumped back to September 2010 in my iCloud photo library to discover pictures of Chloe, Luke, and you at a party. As the contents of this letter will reveal, your life is going to change immensely very soon. But on the subject of those photos, try not to lose touch with Chloe and Luke when you leave for university. The many film nights you shared with them over the years undoubtedly inspired the career you're about to pursue. Not to mention Chloe's parents' Nespresso machine, a version of which is now a staple in my kitchen. You're currently pondering over two major life decisions. One, should you study film at university and where? And two, this is a big one by the way, are you gay? (laughs) To help with these big questions, let's just return to my time in 2020 for a moment. Here's a couple of highlights. I'm doing what I love for a living, no. I'm not grasping an Oscar yet, but I'm making films and I'm working with incredible people. I'm living in London with my best friend, Ed. Yes, after 15 years and having met at school, we're still the best of friends. I'm openly gay and supported by my family and friends. You're probably on the verge of a panic attack reading that and wondering how it's possible. I'm still single though. Guess I'll keep swiping on the apps. This will make more sense in the years to come because the apps don't exist yet for you. And last but not least, I still play the trumpet. A year ago, I joined the London Gay Symphonic Winds and it's led me to meet some amazing friends. The answer to the first question on whether you should study film at university and where the answer is yes, the place is London, you already know it's London. Your family are going to try and get you to look at other universities, Warwick, York. By the way, the interview you have at Warwick will inspire you to remove anything but London from UCAS. Limiting your options is going to feel really scary, but it's the right decision and the time you're going to spend at Queen Mary will change your life forever. And now the big one. Are you gay? You already know the answer is yes. But somehow you don't want it to be true. Deep down, you know mum's going to love you no matter what. And your stepdad is probably going to be fine. How will your stepmom respond, given her religious views? But a more terrifying prospect is how will dad react? You're about to spend the next few years getting wound up in thought spirals, conjuring dramatic scenarios where your dad and others disown you completely just for being the person you're meant to be. But now let me save you the trouble. The person whose reaction you most fear will one day raise a glass and tell you he loves you no matter what. In that moment, it will suddenly feel as though you can breathe properly. That a major weight has been lifted. 
that you're being 100% true to yourself. You'll read this and still wonder how on earth you could ever find the confidence to come out. You'll wonder why straight people don't have to come out. Keep going. In the many years to come, you're going to meet some of the best people I know who will all be there in some way to help you be yourself. On a lighter note, I'll leave you with three words that will one day mean an immense amount to you. They are Brexit, Boris and Covid. Good luck with those. <laughs> Love, Mitch. P.S. Stick with your driving lessons. I know you want to quit right now because you can't afford to buy a car. Don't. In the years to come, you'll own a modern equivalent to the car Javier Bardem drives in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. You know the one. It's red and it's a convertible. Don't quit. <laughs> there we are. Oh, Mitch. Oh, God. Right. Didn't expect to I'm so in. glad I put makeup on this morning because <laughs> it is now round my... <laughs> running down my cheeks uh, um i love you yeah i think you're amazing is mutual okay thank you thank you thank you thank you and um i know this is going to help lots of people thank you thank you you've been listening to extraordinary unplugged brought to you by pixel our wonderful sponsors and ivy house a team on a mission to bring life-changing learning to students teachers and corporate organizations if you know anyone that would benefit from this podcast, please share it. And to hear more, please subscribe. To find out more about Ivy House, you can visit us at ivyhouse.co.uk.